and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. This episode was recorded live on October 15, 2014. The theme of the evening was number two. This next storyteller sent me a text message earlier today saying or an email i guess saying i'm really sick i can't do it but uh but uh but a lot of you probably came here tonight to specifically see him uh he was recently uh just this past monday he was on the tonight show with jimmy fallon and even though he says he doesn't really have a story ready and even though he's got this freaky cough that you might want to like cover up while he's telling his story. Uh, you, uh, we're gonna wheel him out anyway, and so you can have a good look at him. So uh, everybody, please give a give a welcome. Say say hello to to my my pal and my co-host of the narrators, Andrew Orvidal. <laughs> I like I like all the the avenues that introduction took. Ron, thanks. It was like a family circus cartoon of a dotted line. <laughs> Give a welcome, maybe say hello with a nod and a tip and a wave to someone who's walking up in just one minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was going to just call in sick to my, to my own show, but I was like, how many chances do you get to tell a story about poop? This thing's not going to come up again. So I got to come down. I had to come down. Uh, When I was 21 years old, I got a job at a nickel arcade in Aurora, Colorado, and was almost immediately promoted to area manager based on my masochistic absorption of verbal abuse from the owner and the general manager. They were like, you're area manager material, so we are putting you immediately under us. They gave me the amazing, <laughs> the amazing salary of twenty-two thousand a year, which I thought was all of the money that you could possibly earn, <laughs> because I was only twenty-one years old. It blew my mind. I, you should have heard me strutting around boasting about twenty-two thousand dollars a year, which now, as a comedian, I would do anything to make twenty-two thousand dollars a year. So it comes, it comes all the way back. It comes all the way back around. But as an area manager. I thought it was pretty hot shit, and, I, and I'd wear, like, a little ill-fitting suit and go around. Um, we can discuss the perks of running a chain of arcades right off the bat. Free video games, obviously. I had the keys to every game. Um, those are the keys to the building, so if I wanted to take uh, a lady on a date, we could just go to the arcade late at night. <laughs> a surprising number of women not interested in that date. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> You know, we're like three cocktails in. I'm like, hey, I got the keys to the arcade I work at, which were coincidentally on one of those round metal zipline keychains. Like, if you don't believe me, zip, zip, zip. like, I think we only went once the whole time. Uh, that's the big. That's the big perk. That's pretty much the only perk, really. And you can eat the prize candy that you get the tickets for. That's about it. Uh, cons: numerous, uh, chief among them, dealing with human shit. On more than one occasion. Uh, I didn't even think about that. Family fun center, arcade, full of kids. Probably going to be some shit incidents sooner or later. 
the first the first time it was a mild one. Uh, I was in the office, and uh, some some uh, the employees came to me and they're like, "Hey, we have a problem. This kid's not coming out of the bathroom." And I was like, "What? What's going on?" So I follow them back there, and we get there, and there's other kids waiting to go to the bathroom. And, and they're all knocking. So I knocked, too, and there's no response. I'm like, hey, it's the manager. Open the door. And uh, I hear this voice like, no. And then this mom comes up, and she's like, he pooped his pants, and he's embarrassed, and he won't come out. She's like, I've called his mom to come bring him new pants, but all I got was her voicemail. So I left a voicemail. So we're just waiting. And there's like, kid, other kids have to go to the bathroom, and it's like this ridiculous scene. I'm like, well, use the women's bathroom. It's not that big of a deal. But I have to get this kid out of the bathroom, so I'm like this hostage negotiator. Like, it's okay. Nobody cared. Nobody noticed. Even though, like, the whole arcade is, like, gathered behind me. They're all waiting. <laughs> I was like, you can hang out in the office or something. And he was literally in there for, like, 22 minutes till his mom showed up. At one point, I was like, if I can just get him to crack the door, I could just, like, storm it. Just like a... Uh, and I was like, can you do that to, like, a little kid? Can you just, like, barge the bathroom? Like, I got him! I got him! Just grab him. I caught him. Um, that was mild. That was just annoying. I was like, oh, I can't believe that happened. Uh, <laughs> the worst time, uh, the employees again came to find me in the office where I was probably sleeping by the desk. I kept a pillow in my bottom drawer, and I would be so hungover every day. I would often sleep <laughs> next to the desk, <laughs> earning my $22,000 a year. Um, and they came up to me, and they're like, Oh my God! You're not gonna believe this. Come with us. So we go. To, we go to the back. We go toward the back of the arcade, the carpeted arcade. That's a key detail in this story. And there's all these dark <laughs> geographic regions in the carpet. When we get back there, and I was like, "What's going on? What did, some, did someone like spill tar back here and then track it all over the carpet? What could this possibly be?" And then I smell like anyone. I'm sure you've heard other shit stories tonight. Um, I just got here, so I, I missed them. There's an unmistakable smell of like, oh my God, oh my God, this can only be human shit. There's human shit on the floor, in the carpet of the arcade. I'm like, oh my God, like get all the kids back. Get all the kids to the front of the arcade. Like, this is amazing. So, so we go back to the front. Everybody goes back to the front, me and the kids. And there's three employees under me. <laughs> and so to their credit, they don't like verbally beg to not do it, which I was expecting, because that's what I would have done if I was an employee. I would have just started crying and said, don't make me do this. They didn't verbally beg, but <laughs> they're each looking at me with like, I don't believe in like psychic powers, but if there were such a thing, I would be receiving these psychic signals from these kids who are like, not me, not me. There's like three of them, and they're like, not me. Don't make me do this. Please don't make me go back there and clean up this shit. And I was like, this is what being an area manager is all about. I get... <laughs> I get to choose one of, at least one of these kids to do this, and they will have to do it because I'm their boss, and that's just the rope. Sorry. Whoever found it should have to do it. But in the end, I did it because I was like, well, I have been sleeping next to my desk and like a total piece of shit, so I should do it. So I went back there and <laughs> did it, uh, which I could not do a complete job of. Again, it would have been... Whoever had pooped back there was not just content with pooping on the carpet. It was had clearly been like, how much can we dance on the poop or something? Because it was just ground into the carpet. It wasn't like, well, that's, it's like a dog or something. Like, well, I managed to scoop up the poop, and now it's off the ground. This was like in, in the carpet, which was like the worst part. So it's like, it was like scrubbing and gagging, and it was so bad. 
And I got my sleeves <laughs> rolled up. It was horrible. And so I did a, a mediocre job, good enough so that I, it wasn't like a total biohazard and we didn't have to close the arcade. And then we had to rent a carpet shampoo and finish it. And then pretty cool area manager, right? Pretty cool move for the area manager to do. I thought so, definitely. Taking a huge hit <laughs> for, the, for the whole team. Maybe, maybe two weeks later, maybe a month. I don't know. This was a long time ago. Uh, I, I would, used to ride my 10-speed bike to work, and I would keep it in the back in the supply room. And uh, an unnamed employee, who I never found out, uh, took it out back by their arcade and ran it over in their car and then put it back in the supply closet, totally destroyed, <laughs> run over. And to this day, I'm like, what the fuck? I cleaned up that shit for you guys. And that's how I got repaid. So that's my number two story, you guys. Thank you. Andrew Orvidal. Your, your next storyteller. Uh, she, is, she is a uh, stand-up comedian uh, here in town. You can see her all over. Uh, pick, a, pick any show, any comedy show in town. She will be on it. And she also happens to be... One of the, uh, she has this great new podcast called Empty Girlfriend, which I highly recommend you all check out. Uh, so please give a warm welcome to Christy Bukley. Hello. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about poop. Sorry. <laughs> this is actually kind of a tough thing for me to talk about in a serious way um so i wrote you guys a letter i don't think i understand the the format of this show no i'm just uh (laughs) no there's plenty of tiny stories in here that all fit together probably okay uh dear narrator's audience i'm writing you this letter because i struggled to tell the story in a way that was honest and true For those of you who don't know me, I make about 2% of my living (laughs) telling jokes and making fun of myself. A main topic I talk about is my disability. I have cerebral palsy. Um, I've spent years of my comedy career crafting a set that allows me to tell the audience about my disability in a humorous way. I have since realized that this is a weird sort of torture I put myself through. Uh, I put myself in front of audiences for judgment while painstakingly choosing my words to make sure that the crowd is comfortable with my disability, to make sure that they like me, and to make sure they accept me, and to make sure that while I bear my soul, they are enjoying themselves. It's a weird emotional plastic surgery that comedians do to themselves. I'm an expert at the sad clown bit, you guys. Uh, I found a way to say almost anything with a smile on your face. No matter how depressing it is, people will laugh. That's all you need to do is smile. While this is genuine and I love what I do, that is not a complete picture of what it is like to have a disability. This letter is my first attempt to be honest with you and honest with myself. My worst fear is standing in front of an audience who feels sorry for me. Don't do that. Feeling sorry for anyone is a useless emotion and it's demeaning to the person it is directed at. Please don't feel sorry for me, just just listen. Okay. Here you go. I would never say this at a comedy show, and this is something I've never said on stage. Uh, having a disability fucking sucks, and it's almost never funny. 
I talk about it all the time, but it's almost never funny. When I thought about the theme, the number two, I was flooded with memories of not being good enough as a kid. The number two haunted me in many ways. I was born two months early, shortly after my mom decided to move two boxes while she was pregnant that she probably shouldn't have lifted. I was born four pounds, eight ounces, and lived the first two months of my life in an incubator surrounded by people trying to keep me alive. When I was two, my mom realized I didn't have control of walking and a lot of my basic motor skills. She went to the doctor and got the bad news that due to my premature birth, I had cerebral palsy and I may never walk. Um, spoiler alert, I can walk. <laughs> I, can, I got it, I figured it out. Uh, the number two would continue to be an unwelcome ghost. As a child, my mom ran a daycare and I would spend two days a week completing physical therapy in front of all the other kids, doing simple walking tasks while everyone else got to play and ride bikes and jump and run. It made me weird and different and I resented it. I grew up wearing two very sexy orthotics that went just below my knee on both legs. Uh, I had surgery every two years as a child, first grade, third grade, fifth grade. I became terrified of doctors, and honestly, I still am. Each surgery brought pain and depression. I've had two surgeries on both of my feet. The last surgeries were done at the same time. I woke up with two casts on my legs. The doctors had broken and sawed the bones in my feet to reshape them. I spent two nights at the hospital, and in the middle of the night, the epidural sticking in my back, numbing my legs, came out and I woke up in a hospital bed with two extremely broken legs and absolutely no pain meds. That has very little to do with this story. I just wanted you guys to know what a badass I am. <laughs> I know at the time, my parents were trying to do what they could to help me, help me walk better, help me be in less pain, but as a kid, you feel like you're ugly when people focus not on you as a person, not on what you can do, not what you're good at, but rather everyone is focused on your two feet and what is wrong with them. Everyone focuses on what you can't do and what you are missing out on. This is a side note, but if you know someone with special needs and an adult or child, doesn't matter, like just make sure you're praising them for everything they do well. They don't get that very often. I would continue to miss out a lot on my childhood. In order to not feel adequate, I never went to a roller skating birthday party, uh, and my social life was extremely stunted by the fact that I rode a short bus to school sometimes, even though all the kids saw. Um, it's, it's hilarious, but this is also a very painful memory. Uh, my sister and I started playing soccer when I was three or four. We were really young, and uh, yeah, I was terrible. I can't run, my legs don't really <laughs> work. Uh, and I'm not sure it could be called playing soccer, but I was four and my team was called the Care Bears. So who gives a fuck? It was really fun. From day one, my sister chose the number two jersey and she would continue to wear it even to this day. I played soccer for two years and then on the third year, my mom came home and informed me that she signed my sister up for soccer. She didn't sign me up because the, that year the fields were getting bigger and she didn't want me to be embarrassed about my running. I never would have thought to be embarrassed until she told me I had something to be embarrassed about. Through the rest of my childhood, 
I would go to my sister's soccer games and stare at the number two on her jersey with such jealousy. The number two became a symbol for everything I wasn't, everything I couldn't do. My sister became an amazing soccer player and I would spend the next five years in and out of wheelchairs being sad. I was always funny, I was always clever, but I was always sad. There were, <laughs> there were a few times as a kid that my mom made me go down to the soccer fields in my wheelchair and all the young kids would be playing soccer together. I would be mortified, as you can imagine. Uh, I wouldn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to make eye contact with anyone. I would just hide my face and stare at that number two on my sister's jersey. I would be mad at my sister for not realizing how good she had it, and I would remind myself that I was different and that was bad. It's not all painful, though. Uh, I want to be honest about having a disability. Uh, I have to acknowledge everything I've gained from it as well. Um, now, in retrospect, the number two doesn't have to be so sad. I have two parents that did everything they could to protect me from the pain of having a disability. I have two amazing siblings who never treated me any differently, even though we couldn't ride bikes together or, or go roller skating or run around outside. Yeah, maybe my sister was a little braggy about her soccer skills and she should shut the fuck up, but that, that, other than that, they were really amazing. I got my first riding experience twice weekly at my twice weekly physical therapy appointments when I would make my therapist listen to crazy stories about haunted houses and zombies and princesses and murderers. I was a sad kid. <laughs> uh, as I grew older, I got away with most almost anything, which is pretty rad as a kid. You can just use it as an excuse. Uh, and um, there was a time when I, when I was 17, I actually got out of a DUI by telling them I had cerebral palsy, and I was just doing the best I can. <laughs> so it works, you know? Yes, it is. Disabledness has its perks. Uh, even as an adult, thank you guys, I love laughter. Even as an adult, I truly believe that my disability acts as a filter to weed out shitty people who would never approach me because they are comfortable about a superficial limp. I really do live in a magical world where I only talk to the best people. I am also lucky to have experienced two things that I am passionate about already in my life, playing music and performing comedy. Every day I get to stand on these two weird legs and tell you guys what I'm thinking, whether you want to hear it or not, and I feel so honored and blessed to have that privilege. I doubt if life was different, I would have found those things without cerebral palsy, and I'm almost certain if life were different and I wasn't disabled, I never would have gotten you guys to watch my soccer game tonight. <laughs> there are many good things, so don't feel sorry for me. But this is about me being honest and living, in a, and living in a body that doesn't work is really hard. I get afraid that as my body ages, this will just become harder and more painful. I get afraid that no one will ever want to love me and be with me forever because there are so many other awesome people that don't have broken legs just walking around everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> I've seen many people with disabilities fall into depression and addiction because their body is never gonna get better. And when they are sober, they are still going to be in pain and that is never gonna change. It's hard, it sucks, and I fear that fate every single day.
The number two doesn't haunt me anymore. It's just a number. The worst part of having a disability is that whether or not you guys decide to describe, uh, subscribe to my bullshit jokes about being crippled or not, I still have to wake up every morning knowing that this is not gonna get better. This is my life. This is my body with two fucked up legs and I'm terrified that I won't be able to keep waking up and finding the strength to make myself smile and make you guys laugh. That is honestly what haunts me. Thank you guys. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to thenarratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>